Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is the final episode of season five. Something a lot of you have been asking for is a story that involves donor eggs. And with me here to share her journey is Victoria Nino. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear that people are wanting to hear about Donor X because I'm here to tell you about it. I am so, <laughs> like we were ch- chatting before, it's been hard to um, find people that are outspoken about Donor eggs. I know. it's It breaks my heart because I'm so proud of it. You know, it took me a while to get here for sure, but I wish um, that it was normalized. And that's why I do speak out because I think it's really important that people take that shame off of it because it doesn't need to be that way. Um, 100%. So yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It needs to be talked about more. Yeah. Well, let's start. Give us the down and dirty version of your journey. And I'm talking the high highs and the low lows. Um, and, you know, just start with when you and your partner were talking about having children. Yeah. Yeah. So we got married... I don't even want to try to do the math. I want to say 12 or 13, 13, 12 years ago. I don't know. Something like that. Over 10. So you don't really have to keep track over 10, right? Um, Anyway, we got married. I was 29 years old. And I was like, we're going to just start trying on the honeymoon. You know, we had a plan to have babies as soon as possible. We wanted two to three children. And it didn't happen. Um, You know, we, I think, tried naturally a year or so. Um, and I went to my OB and I'd always had really bad periods. And so I knew something was wrong with my body, but no one would ever really listen to me. They just said, Oh, well, that's just how you're made up. Like, that's just, you know, you're gonna have to deal with heavy periods and long periods. That's just your body, you know, and that's okay. And I just thought, well, this doesn't seem right. I mean, I'm like bleeding half my life, you know? And (laughs) Not to mention a crime scene every time. Yeah, like, yeah. Like fucking Dexter was in my bathroom as I walked from the toilet to the shower. Right, right. But anyway, I finally, I'm trying to get to the like, I don't want to tell you every gory detail because it's really not that interesting. But by the time I made it to an RE, she had said, I think you might have endometriosis and um, ended up having to do a laparoscopic surgery, found out that I did have endometriosis and it had kind of gone nuts. Um, on my body and my eggs specifically. Um, but she still thought, you know what, we're going to laser it off. We're still going to try. We should be fine. Everyone kept talking about how young I was and how I should be fine. Don't worry. You're young. I'm sure even though you have endo, like your eggs will be fine. So I did like five IUIs, which was ridiculous. Um, looking back. And then I did, I tried to do multiple IVF retrievals with my own eggs, but I could only ever get one to grow. Sometimes two. Mm. How many retrievals did you do? I did cycles. So I just mm. stimulated for yeah. multiple, but then flipped those to IUIs when I realized I only had one egg. But when I finally got two eggs, we were like, let's seize the day. Yeah. Um, and so she retrieved them and neither of them fertilized. One was like black in color. It was so rotten, so to speak. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't and- even know they could, you know, determine the color. Of an yeah, egg. That's what she said. She was like, it was black. And I'm like, I'm assuming that's not good. Uh-huh. You know? mm-hmm. um, so 
at that point, we met with the doctor and had a serious conversation. And I knew what was coming. I knew she was going to suggest donor eggs. But my husband was still and very much in denial. And he was like, all chipper, like, yeah, okay, what do we got to try next? What do we do now? What do we do? And I literally wouldn't even make eye contact with her. I was just like, no, 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 we're not doing anything else. Like, I, I can't keep putting my body through this. Like, what other options do we have? Mm-hmm. And she suggested an egg donor. And my husband was like, no way. There's no way we would ever do that. And I said, why? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, because I wanted to have a baby with you. I married you. I want my baby to look like you, you know? Mm. And I, I, at the time I was kind of like, well, what do you have to lose, dude? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these are your genetics, yeah. right? Like yeah. your sperm is doing just fine. Yeah. You're going to make it under under the gate here. Right. <sighs> right. So I didn't really get what he had to grieve about. Cause I had already kind of started Googling and searching and just doing my own research without telling him or anyone. Um, And I was just ready to just like be excited again and move on to a real chance at being pregnant, you know, versus my like 0.01% chance that I was working with. And so it took us a while, both of us, and we both had to go through major grief, you know, to let go of my DNA Mm -hmm. um, being passed on. And he had a really hard time with it. Um, But actually what, what really flipped us onto like the idea of an egg donor in the beginning, which now I realize was not important, but at the time I thought it was important was epigenetics. And the people that follow me know that I speak out. I'm like an epigenetic, like obsessed person. I, I think it's fascinating. It's science. I don't know how, if you're familiar with it. I did. When I did an embryo um, adoption episode, Oh, okay. I learned a little bit about that. And I, th- I find it fascinating too. It's essentially, you know, you, you can influence the DNA of the embryo, even though you're not genetically linked. Is that how I understand it? So, yeah. So you can influence the, what kind of genes get turned on, if you will. Epi on top of, like the word epi means on top of genetics, right? So it's, it's you're changing the way your genes are expressed. Mm. and we all have a genotype and a phenotype and our genotype is like what makes us unique our our pheno in terms of what we look like and then our phenotype is how you feel how you operate like who you are like your personality and epigenetics can drastically impact your phenotype mm. so like your person your your humor or um you know the way that you dance or like my daughter and I share a lot of weird things. Like we can pick things up with our feet mm-hmm. or we're always the loudest burpers in the room. Like she has a lot of those things that are like these little glimmers. Like, you know, if you know me really well, if you know me personally, you know, those like weird things about me that make me, me yeah. that also make her, her. But if you don't know me, you might look at us and go, I don't see it. You know, I don't understand how you guys are biologically connected. Mm. So the easiest way to ex- to explain it is like if like if you think about the wine country, right? Like in making wine, mm-hmm. the same grapes in totally different regions of Napa, Sonoma, and different soil are going to produce different wine, right? Because of the environment. And that's truly what it is. Um, you have just made me love wine 
so much more. <laughs> like, I already thought I liked wine a lot. And then you just pulled out that analogy. I love it. I mean, it's the easiest one for me to, to grasp. Yeah. Right? Um, there's a lot of analogies out there. That one for me just made the most sense. Mm-hmm. But so there's a lot of non-genetic traits that you can actually pass on. So like metabolism, facial expression, your scent. Like I'll never forget when my, my mom was holding Flo um, when she was tiny, she came out like tearful. And I was like, what's wrong, mom? And she was like, she smells just like you. And at the time I thought, no, that's wow. just a baby smell, mom. You're confused. She's like, a mother knows, Victoria. Like you smell different than your sister. Like you had a certain smell. Florence has your smell. And wow. at the time I just didn't really think of it. And now I, I've connected with this epigenetic scientist who comes and speaks to my donor uh, conception support groups. And he's like, yeah, that's one of them. Wow. So like, you can't change hair color. You can't change eye color. You can't change height, right? Those aren't things you impact, but you can impact things that are learned or subtle things again. You know, even the way she snores, my husband says is like me. Wow. Um, yeah, I love it's this. wild. I love this. Now share a bit about your process of choosing an egg donor. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, so we've now chosen three because we had one in the very beginning that the day before her retrieval, they called to say her eggs just poof disappeared, oh. um, which was completely devastating. That was the the darkest time of my life because I thought I finally said, okay, I'm giving up my genetics to be a mom. That's the sacrifice I'm, I'm willing to make here. This is my Hail Mary. I'm going to get pregnant. And then this young woman who, you know, put her body out there to help me is now being faced with infertility at the age of like 25. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I thought I was cursed. I thought I'm not meant to be a mom. This is the end. Like I, this is the biggest sign ever that this is not for me. So to answer your question, we chose her because she literally looked like my twin. Mm. She like, um, I, I obsessed over it. I mean, even my doctor was like, Oh, she came in today. Victoria, she even laughs like you. Oh, her, she, she, she smiles like you. She talks like you. I'm like, Oh my God, I found my doppelganger. This is real. Like I can trick the system. You know, this is the match. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, and even when my doctor called to give us the news, she said, I have good news and bad news. She said, the good news is your donor is just like you. The bad news is her eggs are too. Oh gosh. Like, gotta be shitting me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a swift kick to the nuts. And so we were like, all right, we're taking a break. We're done. We cashed out 401ks. And I mean, we had just, at that point, I think we were, I don't know, I want to say like $75,000 in the hole. Mm-hmm. I'm still no baby. And so we took a year off and um, came back around and got a new doctor. And he said, this time when you pick a donor, focus on someone who is healthy and fertile. He's like, mm-hmm. stop looking for your twin. She doesn't exist. There is no other Victoria Nino out there. You're the only one. Mm. I was like, true. Okay, I get it. Um, at the time, I felt like, oh, well, that feels a little like weird. But at the same time, it like, yeah, of course. Like, that's the point, right? I'm trying to get pregnant. So what I did was I, I created like spreadsheets and I graded like probabilities and, you know, potential success based on their success rates, their fertility, their age. The, tra- the retrievals they had had and those outcomes. And, but also made sure I chose donors that like, there was a little something that I connected to, like 
this donor in particular um, that gave us our daughter, like her favorite movie was Step Brothers. I'm like, yes, okay, I see you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she was part English, French, and German, all things that I am. So I thought that's cool. We can still heritage wise, I can still connect with my daughter on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's things that I could still like hang on to. And so that was, you know, who ultimately gave us um our amazing, magical, beautiful daughter. Um, there were two other embryos that we had from that cycle that we, unfortunately, they didn't stick. Mm-hmm. Um, we transferred um, in 2020, go figure. So that's when I thought, I'm done. This is it. I put my hand in the air and I said, last dance, you know, this is it. And um, said that I would never get another donor because that would mean they wouldn't, my daughter wouldn't be fully genetically related and I could never do that. Right. Well, here I am (laughs) donor number three. Um, and we have two embryos that we're about to embark on. So I'm actually currently on estrogen in the middle of an ERA cycle. So I'm actually surprised I haven't cried yet. So, well, (laughs) Hey, listen, what this podcast holds it all. Yes. I, so just backtracking for a second, Florence was conceived by the, or, um, by your second donor. Correct. Okay. Your second donor. And you had two embryos in addition to Florence. Correct. And they, yep, from that same donor. And you transferred those in 2020, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. And now you've moved on to a third donor. Yes. Yep. Wow. And the third donor picking her was, I mean, we did it in a day. We're like, uh, she'll work. <laughs> wow. Because when the, when the child gets here and you're like, oh, why did I obsess over DNA? This child was always meant to be our child. Her soul is like deep. I mean, mm. her and I are like, just, I look in the mirror at her when I, I see myself, even though we look nothing alike, she is my exact soul's match. Right. And I don't look at her and see calculated percentages of the sperm, the egg, and me, right? I just see Florence as a unique individual, and that's it. She looks like herself. (laughs) I'm actually remembering something I think you posted on Instagram where somebody asked you if she was yours. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, I get that a lot because... So I'm also in a biracial marriage. So my husband is Colombian and um, people always ask, what made you choose a Hispanic donor? And I'm like, oh, she was white, but you know, my DNA, that's the thing. You can't control it. Like Mm -hmm. even if they were my eggs, who knows? She still may have never looked like me. Right. Yeah. Um, My husband has very strong genes and she's beautiful. And I like, I chose a handsome husband. Like I chose him for a reason. She's gorgeous. Just like he is. Um, but all the time because she's very dark skin and here I am, blonde hair, blue eyes, white lady. Um, people are confused by that, which I'm like, I mean, come on people like at this, this day and age, really? Yeah. Like when is that an appropriate question ever? Never. Right. Never. So I think, you know, cause I, I do know that it's genetic, like genetically speaking, if she did look if she had blonde hair and blue eyes, let's just say, right. I don't think I would get looks or questions by strangers. Right. Cause I know a lot of I, women who conceive via donor eggs and they don't get looks. People just say, Oh, that's a mom and her baby. That's a mom and her child. 
Um, but even when she was a newborn, like I remember this one woman at Starbucks, like was like, can I see your baby? And she wanted to peek in and I was like, Oh, I really don't want you to see my baby. I don't want you to peek. Like, don't get near her. Don't breathe on her. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, I'll give you a quick peek, you know? And she goes, Oh, I was like, what? She's like her skin. I was like, what? She's like, I just wasn't expecting that. Oh God. And I'm like, okay, lady, you can go fuck yourself. You know? Yeah. So I had to toughen up quickly because not only did I have a biracial baby who didn't look like me because of skin color, but I also then, because there's a lot of moms I'm friends with that are in biracial relationships that their children are genetically related and they get those comments and that shit hurts. But then when you are also realizing that your child, you know, is not genetically related to you and then you hear those comments, it's like extra hurts, you know? Yeah. So I had to like really in postpartum, I just, I struggled for the first year. Just, I was so anxious. You know, people were always giving us looks and saying things. And now, I mean, it's hilarious because Florence is so outspoken and just strong-willed and she'll just say, what are you talking? I have my mama's heart. Can't you see? You know, like, I love that. She's just like, she doesn't get, you know, she's like, why do they have to say something? Why is that lady talking about my hair, mama? Oh, I love that. They just don't, they're they're confused. They just get confused when things don't match. Like, that's so crazy, right? She's like, so crazy. Like, why would they get confused by things that don't match? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So it's now it's like, we just, it's our story. We own it and it's beautiful, you know, but it was, it was definitely painful, um, for a while. And that was my own issue. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about known identification versus anonymous. How did you make your decision and why? Yeah. So the first two donors were both anonymous, um, which I can't say I regret because then I wouldn't have Florence, but if I could have done it differently and still gotten Florence, I would have. Um, Because when you first start this process, and this is what's so fucked about this industry is that, you know, they're so just like, let's get you pregnant. Let's get you a baby. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about, you know, who the donor is or what their name is or any of that stuff. Just let's find someone who looks like you and get you pregnant. You know, you, they, I don't want to say they brainwash you, but it's, it's very disturbing to be quite honest, the way these industries operate so much that I've strongly considered opening my own egg donor agency to do it the right way. And I did choose an anonymous donor, um, who I, as of even three days ago, am still fighting, um, the contract to be revised through our attorneys. I tried with the agency. I actually don't trust the agency because they have a financial advantage Um, so they want to do everything they can to keep you away from the donor because they think you're going to like backdoor and get another round of eggs without them making money. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I recently got my attorney to get her attorney to send a list of questions to her to ask just, you know, simple questions about things that she dealt with as a toddler that might help flow things that I think maybe flow will have questions about in the future that could help form her identity. Haven't gotten a response yet. Trying to remain patient, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I regret that because I want my daughter to have every single thing she needs to feel like she knows who her whole self is Mm -hmm. and her identity is strong. And she's, you know, feels like she has all her, all the answers to, you know, what makes her, her, And so I'm still fighting with that. Our, our new donor, 
is completely open. And that was a reason why we didn't try to go again um, with the second. Actually, I did try to go with her again, but she was not willing to be open. And so that's how important it is to me. Donor number two. Yes. That's how important it is to me that I foregoed a genetic sibling Mm -hmm. to have the, you know, opportunity to have an open um, contact. And this isn't saying she's coming to birthday parties and we're having coffee together. This is like, hey, I want to know your name Mm -hmm. and I want to know your family's background and I want to know your medical history as it changes throughout your life. Yeah. You know, like, is that really too much to ask? Yeah. Well, and in our in our um, sperm donor episode, medical history was huge, ended up being Mm -hmm. like. Number one, we got to understand medical history and especially down the line too, if anything comes up. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And we have, we have, that's egg donor. I will say you do get a lot more information than you probably do for sperm, at least from what I know about it. It's a much more in-depth process too, for these women to go through, of course. Um, But there's a whole, like, I do have a lot of medical background, but my point is, she could have a heart attack tomorrow and she has no obligation to tell me, Wow, you know, yeah, she could get cancer in a week and I would have no idea that that could be something, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the part that I just, it just kills me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Kills me. Let's go back to um, the grieving process that you and your husband went through when you realized you needed to go with donor eggs Something that kind of stuck out to me while you were sharing your story is that he was more, I guess, it was a bigger leap for him than it was for you. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I could compare our leaps, but I think he, like men are just, I don't hate to generalize, but he just processes things differently than I do. And I think because I have I had talked to people about it. I mean, my doctor mostly, and I'd read a lot of articles. He hadn't done any research and he just at face value, the way a lot of people think, oh, well, you're not the real mom, right? Mm -hmm. Which is total bullshit. Yeah. He thought, well, this is weird. Am I having a baby with you or with someone else? No. Um, And now he's like, I mean, we both, this third donor, he's like, you just pick her. I trust you. Oh, I love that. I love it. He's he's like, like, let's just go through the self-checkout aisle. Let's just like, let's, you know, I love that. I even said, do you want to see a picture? He's like, if you want me to. And I showed her and he was, showed him. He was like, yeah, she's great. She sounds great. Oh (laughs) my gosh. Wow. Night and day. Night and day. Wow. Yeah. I think we just, it's all, it was grief for both of us. And we, grief is such a personal experience for everyone you know we all grieve differently and he just needed more time in a different way and now that my daughter is here I mean he like it's totally like no it's our normal you know yeah yeah what was the biggest frustration about the process for you I would think it's it's how most and I talked about this a little bit earlier but I would say it's how most people you speak to in the industry do dehumanize the process. Mm. Like we're talking about Easter eggs or something, you know, Mm. there were so many times that just the way they would speak to me, like it's just a transaction, you know, Mm. and this is life we're talking about, you know, and also going back to like the whole anonymous thing, which that, that doesn't even, even though there are still anonymous agreements today, 
that does not exist in real life because there's ancestry.com, there's 23andMe. You will, there is no more of that, right? So like fucking fix it. We should at the very least know her first name, right? Like think about how impersonal that is, that she's just donor 922, right? Yeah. So I'm creating a baby book for my daughter and I'm like, we don't know her name. She may na- never want to contact us. And I, I have to sit with that. I have to live with that decision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd argue that I was coaxed. I would argue that I was led in a direction in a very vulnerable state. Um, and I did what I thought was just what everybody else did. You know, mm-hmm. I know too much now. And that's why I speak out because I, I try to help guide others um, to, you know, help think about those things because you are so focused on just getting pregnant and the baby you aren't thinking about a 15 year old one day who's like oh I have this weird GI thing and I can't explore it you know yeah do you think the days of anonymous donors are maybe coming to an end I hope so people they're still doing it though that's that's the thing and until recipient parents start saying no, the the industry will have to change because we're the ones paying the money, right? Mm-hmm. They're not listening to donor conceived adults, which they should be because that's, I mean, those people, this is their life. They're now adults. Many of them had anonymous donors, were lied to, found out by 23andMe. They're not listening to those voices because they're not the ones paying the check. Yeah, It's until us, we are a united front, the recipient parents saying, we only want open disclosure they're not going to change, unfortunately, because a lot of the egg donors, they're also, you think about it, they're like 19, 20 years old. Yeah. They're just going off of what they're told. They're miseducated and misinformed into what what this really means in the grand scheme of life, you know? Well, I, I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, before I even encountered infertility, like in my, you know, early college days, I heard of women being becoming egg donors because of a financial mm-hmm. yeah. hardship. But they weren't yeah. they were just thinking about how they could pay their bills now. They weren't right. thinking about right. 15 years no. down the line. No. I remember being in college and in like the bathroom stalls, there were like these flyers, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of wish I had applied because maybe they would have said, hey, you should freeze your eggs because they're pretty shitty yeah, already, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might have gotten some but, insight. Yeah, yeah. It just makes me sick. Mm-hmm. Anything that surprised you in a good way? Oh my gosh, so much. I mean, the love, like the bond that I have with my daughter and how little genetics had to do with it, you know? I had zero to do with it. Um and even my family, like I, I recently posted something about my parents and how I was so worried they wouldn't love my child like they do their genetic grandchildren or they wouldn't bond with her. And my mom said to me, she said, did you really think that? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, of course I did. Why, of course. Mm. She's like, why? I'm like, mom, mm. think about it. And she's like, oh my goodness, that is our granddaughter. Don't you even, you know, like, and and now I see it, but I had to see it to know it. And you, you, you make up all these stories in your head of like, genetics is the holy grail. And if they don't have my DNA, my family, like, you know, she's not one of us or, you know, and it's, we put it on a pedestal, but for what? Mm. Like, if you think about DNA in a whole, like there's only 1% of our DNA that makes us our, our, our unique selves. 99%, we all, as a human race, we share. So 
it's the other stuff that matters, right? Like I thought about, oh, well, my child couldn't get my mom's beautiful eyes or my dad's long legs or, you know, whatever it is in my family that I thought mattered. Mm. Oh, but she can get my mom's cooking. She can, she can learn my dad's funny jokes. The, when, when my parents passed, that's what I'm going to remember them by is how my mom loved her family, how my mom bakes and cooks for everyone and takes care of everyone, not her eyes. Right. Yeah. Like that's the stuff that matters, but you get so hung up because society has told us our whole life that DNA makes a family. Oh, right. Yeah. I just love your mom for responding in that way. Like how, like that is sophistication. Yeah. yeah she was like, are you What? I, we were at a pediatrician appointment together. My mom went with me when, when my daughter was under a year old, I forget. And the doctor was asking about family history stuff. And I forget what, something about allergies or something. I don't know. My mom went on this tangent about our family history. And I said, mom, 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 no, that doesn't. She's like, what? I was like, remember, she doesn't have our genes. She's like, oh my God, I always forget. Wow. You know? Wow. Wow. She's like, I'm so sorry. I just, she's one of us. Like, I just forget, you know? Wow. Because she is, she is one of us. Like, it's, yeah. You know, it, it, you don't, and when I see her with my mom or with my dad, it's like, I wish, that's why I posted that video of my, my parents with my daughter. Cause I'm like, you guys, the world needs to see that this is, this is family. This is it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. What kind of misconceptions have you encountered about donor conceived families? I mean, I think a lot of it is uneducation. And that's, again, another reason I advocate because I think there's a ton of awareness that needs to happen. But just questions like, who's the real mom? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's really hurtful. There's nothing fake about my motherhood, you know? Um, Or just, I mean, even some people will will say, well, why didn't you use a surrogate? I'm like, because it's eggs. (laughs) Like, just kind of like, what, you know? Um, but misconceptions, I think just that, and I, I don't, I'm trying to say this lightly, but a lot of people just assume it's just like adoption, right? Mm. And they, and it, and it is not, there are similarities, sure, but there was no birth mom. I am the birth mom, right? I am actually biologically connected to my daughter, not genetically, biologically. It's confusing. Three people made a baby. So people don't, I, I've had therapists even say, well, just explain it to your daughter. Like you were baking someone else's cookies. And I'm like, fuck, no, those are my cookies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, because that's how like surrogacy has been talked about for so long. Right. But, but this isn't surrogacy in my case, this isn't adoption. There was no mother who gave away a baby. She donated her, her genes. Yes, that's important, but she had no intention to mother anyone. And she still does not. Cause trust me, if she did, she'd be revising this contract and probably asking for money for mm-hmm. it. But she has said, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not comfortable. I have my own children. I have my own life. Please respect it. And I have to respect that. She doesn't want, she never intended, to, she intended to give a, to help us. She intended to help us create our own family. Um, she never gave away a baby. Not that I'm saying adopted, you know, that's you're giving away, but there was no, my daughter should have no fear of abandonment because 
you know, I, I grew her in my womb. I mean, she talks about it all the time. She even says she remembers. I'm like, do you really? She's like, it was so nice in there. Oh my gosh. I love her. Oh yeah. She's an old soul. She definitely has a connection to other lives and worlds and stuff. I mean, she's like kind of psychic in a weird way, but she, you know, she will always say, cause I, I used to get very emotional when I would talk to her about it and she'd say, mama, don't forget. I have your heart. We have the same heart. I am you and you are me. You oh know? Oh my gosh. I know. I could cry. Like <laughs> so healing. And, and to hear that yeah. from a little person, like, whoa, I that's know. profound in a way. And that's why I share our conversations between her and I, because she is an old soul and she's three and she's, you know, she's talking about uteruses. I mean, she knows way too much, Yeah. Um, but I love that though. But I fucking love that about her because she's just owning it, you know? Um, and she has, she is my, I am glad that my eggs didn't work. I'm glad because it wouldn't be her. Yeah. And without her, I wouldn't be me. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. So here's the question I ask all of my guests. What makes your blood boil about infertility? I think, honestly, because I found out at such a late age that I had endometriosis, that it's the lack of awareness to young adults. I think schools should be talking to teens early on and normalizing it. You know, we get so many talks and resources about how not to get pregnant. But, like, what about infertility and you know, just what it takes, you know, to, to grow a family when you're ready. Because I think the majority of us that you can remember the moment, moment you found out that you were infertile, quote unquote, and it was traumatic, right? And it shouldn't be traumatic because if you were educated about sexual health from a different lens than just don't get pregnant, then maybe it wouldn't be so there wouldn't be such a stigma, you know, there would be more support and like pride and less shame. Cause there's so much shame, you know, so much, so many of us go through this alone because we're too embarrassed, but there's nothing wrong with us. You know, this is just, unfortunately, this is part of our life, you know, mm-hmm. and it it's part of who we are. And like, that's awesome because that's who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just infuriates me. Yeah. And I I think it's going to become more normal, you know, as people wait longer to start their families. I think that this is just going to be, I hope more, I I just hope it becomes normal to talk about this stuff and to be proud of it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just met with a a woman the other day who she's got three-year-old twins through donor eggs and I just said, you know, how are you, like, what do you guys call your donor? How do you guys talk about it? And she goes, oh, we haven't done it. I'm like, okay, well, what's holding you back? And she goes, my own issues. And she had a situation where her, I guess, biological dad just wasn't in the picture and her mom remarried and didn't tell her that he wasn't her biological dad. Oh, wow. And she found out in a fight when she was older. So she now has her own trauma from it. Yeah. But even she was like, it's either now or never. I said, it can't be never. Mm. She's like, what do you mean? I said, it can't be never. That's not an option. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, if you don't tell them, they're going to find out through something, ancestry, 23andMe, they will find out. And she hadn't even like thought about that because like, 
a lot of us just, we bury it, you know? And I, I literally sent her books, like kids books. I'm like, buy these, just start here. This is a good place to start. It doesn't have to be scary. It is scary in the beginning, but the more you practice, the more you talk about it. Now my, my daughter and I have our own funny stories and versions about dinosaur eggs and all this stuff. And we, you know, she, we found an egg the other day, like a bird's egg. And she was like, is this a donor egg? <laughs> you know? Um, I'm like, perhaps, I don't know what bird is going to hatch this oh, thing. You know? I love it. Um, I love it. But I think, you know, we're just, we all have our own trauma and, and as children, and then we bring that into our lives as mothers and, you know, um, there's just not enough education or support to not only donors, but also the recipient parents on how to parent and how to like talk about this stuff, you 100%. know, which is why I started this group because I, you know, I'm very proud of the work we're doing, but we're bringing in therapists, we're bringing in scientists, we're bringing in donor conceived adults, multiple of them to share their story on how to talk about it, what's triggering, what's not triggering, what they want to hear. And I mean, we always have a wait list because there's nothing else really out there that's helping people go through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. How can folks, you know, connect with you and, you know, even get involved in that kind of support group? So that would be through Infertility Unfiltered. Um, So Instagram, Infertility Unfiltered. We also have a website, infertilityunfiltered.com, and we have several programs, not just for donor conception, but we have an inf- just you know people going through infertility, um, people who have become pregnant after infertility, like where do you fit in, secondary infertility. We have several different series and different women that lead them that have their own personal connections, but it's really around education, um, also support, like you're going to get a ton of emotional support, but like there's just... I believe there's a lot of teaching that needs to happen. And so that's why we bring in all these experts. The donor one, the majority of the experts, even the therapists that we bring in have their own, like they're also parents of donor conceived children. Like it was really important to me that people had their own connection to this. And they're not just saying, oh, I went to school and learned about it. And I know everything Mm -hmm. now, right? Because I really think you got to like live it to know it, unfortunately, not to discredit you know, people with incredible degrees and, the, and, and so forth. But I have definitely had my fair share of therapists say the wrong thing to me because they don't get it yeah. um, from a personal standpoint. And then also expecting anything is my, um, where I share about my daughter and our, I, I write a lot of love, love letters to her. And we share a lot of conversations and resources that have helped us very open about it there. Wow. Thank you so much, Victoria. You were the perfect person to have on the show to wrap up this season. I just, I'm so appreciative. And thank you for sharing your journey. Because like I said earlier, it's very hard to to find people that are open Mm -hmm. and proud about this part of their journey. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a badge of honor, in my opinion, that I wear, you know, and I'm so grateful to get to wear it. Absolutely. All right. Well, good luck with everything. Thank you, Millie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week.